Hello, and welcome to Pianotech Radio Hour, the weekly bridge to the future of the Pianotech community. I'm David Anderson. And I'm Ethan Janney. And we're here to ask great questions, and then we'll shut up and listen to some of the authorities, experts, and most outstanding personalities in our little world of pianos. So, put on your best set of headphones, and let's get started. So I will, uh, without further ado, get things started, get things rolling. And this is going to be the first episode of something David Anderson and I are going to start putting together here. We're calling it Piano Tech Radio Hour with a with a lovely nostalgic feel to it. Yet we, we have the capacities of the 21st century here with, with video and, and advanced communication. So it's very exciting. And yeah, today's our first guest here is someone that David recommended that we bring on his name is uh, rick overton morning hey there rick yeah welcome it's good to see you uh david describes rick as the finest piano store sales guy he's ever dealt with Uh, that's a kind moniker he's had a 40-year history as a piano player and choir director and three and a half decades as a piano store owner and manager he's currently owner of r castman purveyor of fine pianos in the bay area Ansel Stein, Graeber, Grotrian, Estonia, Sauter, Baldwin, Rittmuller, Broadman, and other fine pianos. He has a profound knowledge of the entire worldwide piano business and is a fascinating storyteller and speaker. And also, Rick, we are aware of when you introduce somebody as a fascinating storyteller and speaker, that puts a lot of pressure on. So you're, you're welcome to tell boring stories today. We won't hold it against you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, kids. David Anderson. I'm very, very excited to be here. Been thinking about this for a long time, and Ethan uh, just uh, made it happen, which I'm very grateful about. You know, there's for as long as I've been in the piano business since seventy whatever three or four or some crazy thing. There's been kind of an adversarial relationship between piano technicians and stores, and that's ancient history now because we're all a little teeny little village now and we got to find the good guys and huddle up. And Rick Overton is one of the good guys in the retail side of the piano business. And I have had more fun and more kind of success with him working with him as the COO of a very large, probably the largest piano company in LA for the past six, seven years. And um, he's just got a, a phenomenal knowledge of what's going on right now in the world in terms of pianos. So it was kind of a slam dunk for me that he was our first guest. Yeah, I got some messages from people kind of saying, what are we going to talk about today? We didn't make a huge plan. We just wanted to get this going, taking action. I think that's advisable in this in this complicated time, just kind of choose a direction and go there and stay positive. Uh, but I do think it doesn't go without noticing that since Rick's been in the business so long and he is a dealer, he may have some interesting thoughts, insights into, you know, what's the future of this industry, especially given our current situation, plans about moving forward, that kind of stuff. Again, not to put pressure on him that he should know everything, but, um, but yeah, Rick, do you have any opening statements? <laughs> How you been feeling lately? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you so much. It was quite a, uh, an honor to even be invited. I, I count you guys as one of the successes of the piano industry. If properly used, I think that you guys are the success of our industry. First of all, you're servicing the very things that we're trying to sell, and you make them sound the way they're supposed to sound. And because of you, we're able to do what we do. And so I count it a privilege to be able to speak to the piano technician. I have long held a great respect for the piano technicians who can take an instrument and make it sound from maybe okay to fantastic. And that's what you guys do every day. And I really appreciate it from a retailer standpoint. We appreciate our technicians. Well, you appreciate your technicians. <laughs> I do. Yeah. So talk about the edge of 
hiring somebody that can actually do that to a piano versus hiring somebody that's okay. Well, David, as you know, if you don't have the word RPT behind your name, you can't work for me. If you're not a member of the guild, then I don't allow you to work on anything I sell. But just because you're RPT doesn't necessarily mean you're qualified to do everything. Some people are happy being tuners, and that's fine. I would not trust my uh, car to the guy who puts gas in my tank if I needed a transmission change. So I, I go to a great extent to find out who I'm dealing with when they come to me. If I send a piano to another state or another area where I don't know the technicians in that area, I normally make two or three or four phone calls before I allow anybody to work on a piano anywhere I send it when it's been sold. Because a good technician will make a piano sound fantastic. A poor technician will make it sound like a a banjo. And those are the two things that you have to know what the differences between the two are. And it starts with those three letters, RPT. That's my opinion. Wow. So what's the biggest change you've seen in the piano business in the last, let's say, 20 years? (laughs) Uh, Oh, my God. Well, I joined Baldwin in 2002, and that was about five or maybe seven years prior to the, the Chinese onslaught of what was taking place We've become a very global community. A lot of the products we see, even the hammers, the tuning pins, the shanks, flanges, whippings, the keys, uh, the whole nine yards are being imported from, I want to say China, although it's not all Chinese, but the Chinese influence has been the most powerful and the most, in my opinion, unexpected across the globe. You know, Bersendorfer was bought several years ago by uh, Yamaha from Japan. Grotrian was bought by Parsons Music. The German Grotrian was bought by Parsons Music, I guess, about three, maybe four years ago. Wilhelm Steinberg was also bought by Parsons Music. Parsons has bought a few components uh, companies in in Germany. Talk about Um, who Parsons is, Rick. Parsons is probably the first or second largest piano manufacturer in the world. They manufacture grand pianos for Baldwin, for Broadman, for Cunningham, maybe. I'm not sure about that. They also manufacture for a number of uh, people in China and brand names that we don't see here. So they're one of the larger of the piano manufacturers in the world. And very well healed. They built a great piano. That's that's who Parsons is. Okay. Ethan, got a question for Mr. Overton? Yeah. So in terms of actions that you may have taken or thought of in the past month, uh, is there anything that, that you've been doing to prepare for the current situation or to prepare for what you might think is going to happen a year down the line? I don't think that anybody could have been prepared for what we've seen. I had started working the latter part of last year, setting up an e-commerce site for uh, our Castman. We launched that e-commerce site literally within days after the epidemic, pandemic. We worked out a great deal with one of our manufacturers and very close friends to include accessories and so forth and so on. And also just set appointments. I mean, I have a close, we, we were the first to have a, a shelter in place order, San Francisco. So we sheltered in place and closed our doors. I believe it was March the 12th or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, I immediately put a post on our website saying, you know, that we're available by appointment. I had one, I'm going to assume was a competitor reported me to the police because I went and a post saying I'll accept an appointment. So the police called to see if I was actually open and in business. (laughs) I've had a few appointments and I've sold those. I mean, the nice thing is, is if somebody goes to the the trouble of making an appointment with you to come in, they have to wear gloves. They have to wear a mask. We disinfect the pianos with wipes. And if they go to that trouble and they see us going to that trouble, then they are really intending on buying something. So 
for us, it's been a higher closing ratio, if I can say that, because of the appointment thing. And because of the sales channels that we use, we've sold some pianos not in California that we recently shipped. We carry products that are a little bit unusual to some markets. And so we have uh, Zouder and Grotrian and Steingraber in Estonia. They're not available in every market. And so we get chosen sometimes for some of those products. So what would you say is the biggest challenge? Let's pretend and hypothesize for a minute. Say that we can actually start opening up or, you know, getting back to some kind of normal or some kind of, you know, ongoing commerce by September. Let's just pretend that that's real. What's going to be different? What's the new normal going to look like in your speculative fantasy? (laughs) Well, David, you and I have had this conversation several times. I think that one of the biggest things that we as retailers, manufacturers, and distributors have to address uh, and piano technicians is our level of education and our ability to communicate to the customers. So um, I give you an example that just recently happened to me. There was a customer that came in and, and they had seen a particular piano that was manufactured in China. The salesperson told him it was handmade in Japan. And I corrected him or tried to correct him and tell him that that was not true. And I showed him in various forms that the information that they had been given, or I'm not going to say that. I'll say what they understood was that the piano was manufactured in a place that it wasn't manufactured. Well, the end result was they bought the piano from my competitor who was clearly telling them something or at least they were understanding something that wasn't true. And that was backed up by a a registered piano technician. Within a month, yeah, maybe a month, they were very sad to report that everything I had told them was 100% correct, and they had made a mistake by purchasing what they had purchased. So what we have to be armed with is the correct information when we're asked questions we need to know exactly what we're talking about and not going with some idea of what we think the truth might be. That customer experience is very important because in less than one minute, they can find out whether you're telling them the truth or not. And that's very important that we're accurate with our information and we understand what we're talking about and then know how to produce what they've asked us to produce. And that's where I think the experience is going to be different because people are looking a little bit closer. They've had at least two months to investigate what they want to purchase. That's right. That's right. The woman that hopefully will buy this piano that I've got for sale after the inspection today had a plan of attack. She wanted a certain kind of piano, a Steinway A3 that was vintage, rebuilt, hopefully an original board which basically limited her her search to the West Coast uh, because boards last and are preserved, especially in California. But she was serious as a heart attack, man. She did a ton of resources. And she said, I don't know if I ever would have done that if I hadn't had time to do it in this time. So. That's right. Yeah, I think uh, an interesting thing that you're bringing up, Rick, that I think David and I have been talking about for a while is, you know, just before this crisis, what is the future of the piano industry? Like, how are people going to have a a leg up? How are they going to survive and thrive? And the answer that keeps coming up is that it's going to become more and more an industry where the people who really know the specialized skills and really have the specialized knowledge are going to be the ones that are going to survive and thrive. It's actually going to be a lot harder than it was, you know, say in the golden age of the piano to just kind of go out there and call yourself a piano tuner and, you know, run in and play a song and jump out and make some money. I've been very fortunate in my career. I've been in this industry for since 1983, 
I joined Andy Owings Music Center in Jacksonville, North Carolina in 1983. And I have dealt with, in my opinion, some of the finest technicians that have ever walked. And especially since I've been here in California, of course, David and Mr. Sadagrosh started naming names, but I've dealt with some of the finest technicians, but I've also dealt with some of the lousiest technicians that could have ever been created. (laughs) I mean, oh my God. And I knew immediately the difference between good and bad and evil. And there are some evil technicians out there and there are some bad technicians out there, but we have, I'm very fortunate in the Bay Area to be surrounded with just incredible over-the-top technicians who genuinely understand everything about the piano and how it operates. Now, I said that to say this. When we sell an instrument, we're a little bit handicapped in our retail at our Castman. We're a little bit handicapped in that we don't have any digital products at all. And digital products are selling across the board, and for good reason. They're damn good. I mean, some of them are incredible but they don't take the place of a real life action and a real life whipping and a real life hammer hitting a string and a real life soundboard. It it doesn't take the place of that for the person who is following their career or uh, is just for the enjoyment of hearing a real acoustic piano and, and, and that experience. But the, the digital piano market continues to grow. It continues to do well, but I believe we have a bright future in the acoustic piano industry but it depends on the retailer and what they intend to do with the product. So if you just want to make this short, easy sale, make it happen. When the guy walks to the door, take him to a digital piano and a thousand dollars later, you're done. It's more difficult to sell the piano. I originally started out with behind, behind me back there. Uh, it's, it's more difficult to sell a $200,000 Steingraber. But the the point of the matter is, is we're selling a lot of pianos, acoustic pianos to students, to retired people and people who are interested in acoustic pianos. And a good preponderance of the teachers and, of course, obviously the technicians are steering people back to acoustic pianos where at one time teachers had started to steer uh, students towards digital pianos. Now I'm seeing a little bit of that comeback to the acoustic side. So I think that we have a bright future. We just have to keep it together and do, you know, you got to do what you got to do in order to to sell and and make the product. I work outside of the store with a distribution company and we distribute to retailers across the country. And we're finding a lot of technicians who are wanting to get on board with rebuilt, uh, refurbished Yamahas and refurbished uh, Steinways and some of the older European things. So we're seeing a lot of that come back, even if it has to be done, not on such a broad scale, like the stores that are are gigantic and have been around for years. Our ideas about how we do business are just going to change because it's, it's a new world. Mm. Mm. I've got a couple of questions from uh, some participants for you. Would you like to, would you like me to tell you? I'm ready. All right. From Peter Poole to you, Rick, do you or anyone know if if one can get in touch with anyone for Baldwin Parts or Service? Gibson no longer owns Baldwin, yes? Well, Gibson, yes, Gibson owns Baldwin. Uh, Gibson has owned Baldwin since 2002. Just to set the record straight on that, Gibson bought in the early 2000s the old, uh, I can't think of the name of the, the manufacturer now, but they purchased that. And they were building and have been building, have always been building Baldwin pianos by Baldwin in China since about 2000, 2008, 2009. Parsons builds their grands from the 148 through the seven foot. They build their grands for them to Baldwin specifications. So Baldwin still owns Baldwin or Gibson still owns Baldwin and Baldwin is still Baldwin, but if the question to Peter is, is it an American Baldwin? There is not a part supply for that anymore. And I guess you guys probably already know the distributors that you can call to get some parts for, for various pianos. I, I'm not sure who you would call for Baldwin parts specifically. Well, Peter says he has phone numbers for Gibson that no one answers. So uh, do you have any kind of recommendation for him to, to get a hold of Baldwin? They could. Um, hmm. 
Well, you know what? Tell uh, you could just send me an email, and I will forward it to the right people and find out what they can find out for you. So my email address is r i c o. That's Rico r i c o at r Casman k a s s m a n Rico at r and I will forward that on to Tom Dorn, who is in charge of all of that stuff. But I don't, I don't have his information off the top of my head. Awesome. Sorry. Thanks, man. That's great. Thanks. And my pal Alan Edder has a question for you, the head of piano services at Kellards. A question for Rick: Do you have any of the top of the line uprights, 130 centimeters or larger, made by Grotrude and Steingraber and or Salter, currently in stock? The market for these kind of pianos in the U.S. is not large, but it has been a challenge to find them to try. Oh, I love that question. Yes, <laughs> I have a grocery in 120, uh, 130, I think it is. I've got a Zouder 130. I have, uh, until this week, I had a 125. I've got a Steingraber 138, and the Zouder 130 is gone now, uh, the Steingraber 130 is gone now, but Steingraber 138. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, just a quick trip up to the Bay Area. Yeah, sure. Whatever. All right. So, you know, I've been saying for, if not 15 years, at least 10 years in my classes that I teach at the national conference and in regional conferences and in, in all day seminars and chapters, I've been saying that the piano business as you've known it, for your whole life to these piano technicians is going away. I think within certainly 10 years, mom and pop's piano is not the, that's going to be a digital piano. I think, I think the whole domain of piano technology is going to the high end. So I'm here and we're here to encourage and to almost like inspire, maybe, compel piano technicians to get continuing education and to get current with the best practices in the world about how to work on pianos. Because the bottom line is you can make a piano sing. You can make a tuning sounding better than the next person. You can actually voice a piano. You'll be in business forever. It's skills. It's what we said at the beginning. It's skills. I know that the reason that I started working with Glenn Tribetz and Rick Overton at Hollywood Piano Company is because I could work on a piano, somebody would come back in and try it, and they'd buy it. Oh, my God. Because it sounded a heck of a lot better than it did before we started. <laughs> and that's, it's almost like a superpower if you can develop it and if you can practice it. And I'd like, I'd like both Ethan, first Rick, then Ethan to talk about that too. Well, look, David, I mean, I remember seeing the very first Chinese piano in my life about 2000, um, 2002 when the keyframe wouldn't even stay in place and the hammers would freeze up and, and then you'd pull the action out and the hammers, the shanks would break. I've seen so much stuff that's changed and there are people who are staying on top of the changes that are being made. You know that my big love are early uh, pianos, period pianos. And certainly the technology has changed. And I think that's both good, good and bad, depending on how you look at that. I would not want a dentist in my mouth that was using tools that came from 1963. But at the same time, there is something to be said for the way we used to build pianos. But if you're not aware of what's going on today, you certainly need to to be involved with a technician who understands and find all of those classes you can possibly find. I, for myself, read constantly about stuff that happened. Of course, what I read is, you know, about the graph piano and uh, (laughs) the, the early, the Steins and 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 that but i want to know and understand more about about what i do because my business is geared towards an upper end grocery and buyer steingraver buyer estonia buyer and 
the only way to make those sound the way they're supposed to sound is if you know what you're doing. And the way you know what you're doing is to work with professionals who understand. For me, I know one thing, and David will attest to this. There's one thing my biggest strength is I know a lot of my weaknesses. And my biggest weakness is I'm not a technician. But I can generally pinpoint about what's wrong with the piano for the technician to understand what they're doing. But that's not to say that I know how to fix it or I know how to address it. I'm not a technician and everybody gets nervous when I pick up even a screwdriver. So uh, (laughs) that's why we hire hire people like you guys to take care of of our pianos. Remember that new Mason and Hamlin that was, was beautiful, except when you played it soft, it had this weird feeling in it. And I didn't catch it, but you caught it. And we figured out that that they had repinned the the whipping arm like four times stiffer than what it what it was supposed to be. Do you remember and well? You, you you figured that out. I was like, oh yeah, but I don't know. I mean, and then you focused me on it, and it was like, yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, that's the thing. Great players can feel stuff, but a lot of times they don't have the 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 nomenclature or the experience to right. really tell you what's going on. So you have to be almost like an interpreter and a diagnostician. And I'm telling you, that's the most powerful maybe skill that we have that we don't talk about that much, about diagnosis. I just want to tell you one quick story. I bought R. Kassman in August of 2019. So I'm, I'm brand new here. About two weeks after I came here, I had a phone call from a very upset customer who had a Broadman six foot grand in their outdoors venue. I say it's outdoors. It's a San Francisco venue that they, they open all the doors on the outside. And they were telling me how the piano had frozen up and how it wasn't playing correctly. And, I'm just listening and I know Broadman's reputation because I've sell those. And I was like, that doesn't sound normal to me. So I called a couple of technicians who went over and took a look and they came back and said, yes, as a matter of fact, that is what's going on, but uh, I don't know what's causing. Well, I called Peter Clark in and Peter is a God. He went over, sat down with the piano and came back. Now, these people were prepared to spend another $25,000 to buy another piano. And I said, look, let us have a technician who knows what's going on, go in and assess what's going Because if you buy another piano and you haven't fixed the conditions that piano is in, it doesn't matter what you buy, you're still going to have the same problem. So Peter went over, assessed the piano, and sat down with the owner of the establishment and came up with how to, first of all, fix the piano, but then fix the conditions that the piano was in. In San Francisco, some of you may not know, but we may have a 50-degree night and a 80-degree afternoon. It might be 90% humidity at some point during the evening and 20% humidity sometime that afternoon. It varies so much, and the way that they had just left the piano exposed naturally caused the wood to, you know, do what it does. So Peter went in, fixed the problem. These people have been singing our praises ever since because I saved them $25,000 by having a real technician go in and sit down with the instrument and find out what is. That's why you guys make the difference between a good piano and a great piano. And is anybody listening to this? Any All of my brothers and sisters out there listening to this, are you a little bit jealous that an actual owner of an actual piano store is like behind you, respects you, doesn't want to have an adversarial relationship? It's like, it's a massive gift. And uh, if you can get that kind of relationship or develop that kind of a relationship, as I always say, technical skills are about 60% and relationship skills in this business 
are 40% and some people would say even more. So as you grow in your technical skills, you need to be able to shut the up and listen to people. Just go neutral and listen. Listen to them. Be like the greatest doctor. Be like a real doctor, like a real healer, and listen and ask them questions. I can't tell you how many times, hundreds, people have said to me, nobody ever asked me that before. Nobody ever asked me anything about this damn thing before. You're the first. And I don't like to hear that, but in one way I do. You know, <laughs> I don't like to hear about it because, ah, man, these guys have been robbed of of that benefit, but now I'm bringing it to them. Uh, so I would like to get some responses from people that are listening about if they have a relationship with a dealer, how it's going, their issues and challenges, you know, like that. Well, a couple of things that are interesting from what Rick said. One is I think it's hard sometimes for technicians to understand what their value is and how to communicate it. So he just gave a really great example. You know, saving someone $25,000 is a big deal. And um, I know that's worth something. And to be aware um, of that level of where our value comes into play. It could be it could be saving someone money. It could be just bringing joy to their life in a way that's meaningful. But I think sometimes we get caught up in our own technical understanding as a communication to the client of our value. Whereas, like you said, we, we know how to listen to pianos. We're great at that. We also need to listen to clients, listen to what their language is, listen to what matters to them. And while we, we still need the technical information, we need to do a great job with pianos. We need to be able to communicate with clients and people who have a different view of the industry or the piano itself. Like Rick, he says, you know, I wouldn't really, he, he may be being modest, of course, but he also says, you know, I'm not going to want to pick up a screwdriver and touch that thing. I'll probably mess it up, right? <laughs> and so how do you talk to someone like Rick who who knows uh, probably a lot of the technical terminology, but he's going to think on different terms. One thing that I think about when I think about dealers selling pianos is that there's that setup that happens when a piano is sold. And I don't, I actually don't know a lot of the dealer perspective, but my intuition is that it's really hard to decide when to go all out setting up a piano, depending on the client it's going to go to. So if it's going to go to a client who really uh, takes a good look at it and really appreciates it, then that extra setup from a business perspective, it's an easier decision. And of course, probably the right decision is to always just do a great job on the pianos. And then in that yep. case, you attract the right type of clients that are going to come oh. and appreciate it. But I think that either way, this is something that I've seen as a gross miscommunication between dealers and piano buyers. I had a, a client who's, you know, played at, at Lincoln center and toured the world, a, a wonderful jazz piano player. And he got a piano home and it literally felt like you, you were playing a electronic keyboard. It almost had like this kind of eeky kind of plasticky feel to press down the keys. And even I, just as a piano technician who had some knowledge of it, was thinking, oh, this, this, is a, this, this looks like a beautiful grand piano, but it, maybe it's not. Maybe there's something wrong with it. And the truth of the matter was, it was just the setup of the piano. And it needed, the keys needed to be eased. They, they needed to be lubricated and, you know, some investigation needed to go on. Now, how terrible for the dealer who sold that piano to him, because he actually maybe thinks he has a bad piano when he actually doesn't. He's got a great piano, but it needs that work. And that's where we come into play where we can, we can help dealers sell pianos. We can help ensure that the people who buy pianos get the most out of them. So I think, I think those things are really important and they're valuable. And I think that the perspective there to take is to really work hard to make sure you're working for the people that are going to appreciate it and also communicate to them why it's important. You know, those, when somebody's bought a piano, ask them, is it set up? How did it get set up? What did they do? 
And if somebody's about to buy a piano, develop a relationship where you can make sure that that piano also, in addition to being the right piano for them, gets set up properly. Because that can make, I mean, it takes it from 60% to 99%, 100%. Oh, that's right. We're increasing the efficiency of the instruments. So I have three questions from three dear friends and colleagues of mine that I'm going to read. Carl Lieberman uh, asked, Rick, what did Peter Clark do to fix the problem? Both in the piano and and, and, and environmental. Oh, first of all, I should say hello, Mr. Lieberman. So uh, he put a, a damp chaser on. He covered the strings. He put a cover on. He also covered the bottom. I'm not sure what technical work he did. I know there was some lubrication and regulation and all that going on. Honestly, I, I don't really know Mr. Lieberman, but they did cover the piano. Uh, they kept it out of the direct sunlight. Dear God, they put in a humidifier, dehumidifier. There was a lot of stuff. There was about two weeks, two and a half weeks worth of work that he did on that piano just to get it stable. And then they have maintained that ever since. Awesome. Great answer. Uh, my friend, Diane Hofstetter. Hi, Diane. She filled in a third leg of this triad of, of high-end piano service. Technical skills, relationship skills, and caring, you know? Really, oh you know, dedicated to making it the best you can every time, giving it your best shot. Look, preparing certain pianos for certain players based on your speculative fantasy of how good they play or who's in their house is a slippery slope, dude. Slippery slope. Uh, just like looking at somebody and judging how they're going to, whether you got to do a great tuning or just a good tuning. It's a slippery slope, man. Just get it. Just do your best. And that's what I can tell the dealers too. It's going to bring you so much more business and respect and adulation. If you have every piano in your purview, sounding good, feeling good. That's really what it is. Tim Michaels, and this is fascinating, says, we are seeing a shift from relying on China for pharmaceuticals and manufacturing in the U.S. Do you foresee any possibility for a return of piano manufacturing to North America due to recent events? As the shift to the high-end piano increases, Maybe the demand for high-end local manufacturing of pianos might increase. Your thoughts, Rick? Oh, I was afraid you were going to direct that question to me. Well, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of speculation. There's been a lot of uh, discussion among many manufacturers who would like to do that. The cold hard truth of it is, a good portion of what's sold in the United States that is made in the United States is made by Steinway. Why? Because there's only really two manufacturers, I'm going to use the word in mass, that builds pianos for the, the average clientele, and that would be Steinway and Mason. But both of those pianos would be in what some may refer to as an unreachable category for the average consumer. So I can't speak for everyone, but outside of our high end business, the average consumer is willing to go between Six thousand and eight thousand dollars for a piano, and no, that would be impossible for us to produce in the United States. Not improbable; it's impossible. That will never happen. That we can sell a American-built piano in the United States and be able to sell it to the end user for six to eight thousand dollars. That being said, that means we need to bring those prices up to probably between seventeen to twenty thousand dollars. And then they would be sellable, but to a much, much smaller group of people. So you understand that Steinway, Mason, Hamlin, and the European pianos are being sold to a very small population. And in order for somebody to sell to a larger group, they have to expand those territories. And that's why Steinway sells Boston and Essex and some of the other manufacturers are looking at different things. But where we see an American manufacturer grow, I mean, there's some possibilities out there. There are some unique uh, business plans out there, and some of them have some merit. But I, I don't 
think that we'll see that. I'm sad to say. I don't either. I don't think in any kind of bulk way. I do speculate that, you know, I talk to rebuilders all over the country and some rebuilders are, are, are blowing and going. They're, you know, rich people still exist, people. I'm selling a piano, a $40,000 piano, hopefully today. And somebody called me and wants a $45,000 complete, you know, rebuild of a vintage D. You know, so stuff is going on, but what what I would say, and I don't want, please don't misunderstand. I'm not disagreeing with you, but that's to a very small portion of people because the majority of people are going to spend between five thousand, seven thousand, six thousand dollars. That's you right. can't rebuild a piano for that. No. You can do like some people with not very good reputation who tell people it's rebuilt, but it's really only refurbished. Right. And uh, there's a big difference between what Annoyed Nunley did for me at $60,000 and what we bought from the guy that refurbishes some of these four uh, pianos and Becksteins and so forth for, you know, $25,000. There's right. a big difference between right. the two of those. Right. That's right. Cy Schuster, speaking for the whole <laughs> cohort of piano technicians, says, we really appreciate dealers who understand that adequate dealer prep can make a big difference to a piano on the floor. Many dealers offer a ridiculously small fee for tuning only. You want to address that? Well, the problem becomes for the retailer. I don't know if I'm blessed or cursed by the fact that I'm dealing in manufacturing, distribution, retailing, and all these other things. I don't know. Sometimes it's difficult for me to draw the line where it's reasonable. But the real issue here is what I'm selling and what I'm going to get in return. So, David, as you remember, when I was at Hollywood Piano, you didn't tune the cheap pianos because we couldn't afford to do that. Not that the technician is charging too much, but we can't put that much money in it. So, I mean, you know, if you're dealing with a, a piano store that wants to put $100, $125 into tuning, then, you know, take the money. You're going to be in the store and you can tune six pianos that day. If you don't want to do that, then just pass it up and move on. But the real truth of the matter is for 85% of what the majority of the piano store sell, they can't afford to put an $800, $600, or even $400 bill, technician's bill, into a piano that they're going to sell for $3,000. It's just, it doesn't work financially. That's why we have to get people to Ritmuller, Broadman, the high end of what's coming out of China, and prepare them and allow people to really see, wow, like Baldwin pianos. Wow, these are actually good pianos, you know? And there's such a glacial conservative kind of thing with piano technicians. I still run across piano technicians all all the time and say, ah, Chinese pianos, ah, you know, POS, you know, piece of merd, you know, uh, piano-shaped object. uh, uh. Not really, not anymore. At no. the beginning, yes, but you're living a decade ago, sister. Uh, th- this is not happening right now. And that's where that's where I think our ability to educate people is really – because, look, basically all I sell in my little, you know, uh, boutique concierge, only, you know, eight or ten pianos at a time uh, place is Steinway's. Yamaha's, maybe some Becksteins, and they're all between thirty and sixty, usually a thousand bucks. If you want to buy a really good piano for eighteen thousand bucks, you can, but it's got to be prepared and it's got to be the right kind of piano, and people need to know that, so they're not just brand shopping and buy some, you know, ragged Yamaha just because it says Yamaha, you know. So. From my perspective, and I'm just going to offer my perspective. I know some people do it differently, and I'm not saying they're right or wrong. I'm just saying this is what we do. We have a wonderful technician up here, uh, David Abdalian and uh, Linda Kay. They, they're both just over-the-top technician. They know 
where my brain is when it comes to some things. So, you know, they come in most of the time, and I'm speaking towards Rittmuller and Baldwin. Those two pianists come in, and I would generally say they're pretty okay. She takes it to a different level. They make it sing, make it sound really pretty, and they do it for me for an affordable price. Why? Because when I sell that piano, they're going to get the first time tuning, and then that customer will be their customer forever. So they do have the foresight to see what's coming down the road. The second thing is, is that the technicians that work with us, Linda Kay, for example, she spends the time that's necessary in order to make it sound because she cares. She cares the reputation of herself, the reputation of our company, and what the customers get in the end. Sometimes we sell things like I just sold in Estonia this past week from a customer who came in, made an appointment, bought a piano, and they bought an Estonia 190. And so she came in, did her initial voicing, initial tuning, initial regulation, so that the customer would be happy with it when they got it. When we get to the home, she's going to go back in three weeks or a month, and she's going to do that concert tuning where she fine dials in the sound and the sound that the customer wants to hear, whether it's a little bit brighter or a little bit more mellow. She's going to voice the hammers, and then she's going to do that final regulation on the piano. We prefer to do it that way because not everybody likes the same thing. So we spend a little bit of money up front. We bring it to a certain standard. You know, David, you may remember we had a two Mason Hamlin A's, uh, double A's, and you voiced one rather dark and the other one rather bright. Yep. We had customers that absolutely loved that bright sound and they bought the double A. I could not sell the double A with the darker tone. You came in and voiced it up just a little bit. And within 10 days, that piano had been sold. That's just what we do. We, we try to voice it, regulate it where it needs initial regulation and tuning it and making it sound nice and feel nice. And then do that final work once it's in the home. That's right. Because, you know, pianists can sound radically different in different spaces. And Absolutely. you have no idea what space it's going in, into the house. You know, none whatsoever. So this is all both like the the nexus of technical skills, relationship skills, explaining to people what you're doing and, and caring about it, caring about your own reputation, caring about the reputation of the people you're working for, and just... Being a being an ethical human being, being a good guy, you know. And then everybody has to understand the, the business side of it all. You know, if that $20 gadget that gets put on a piano, by the time it gets to the retail floor, maybe $200 more. Right. It, everybody has to get paid along the way. So the more money we put into a piano sitting on the floor, the more money we have to charge for that to recoup what we're selling it for. So the clock on the wall says we have flown through this hour. Oh, wow. I don't know where the time has gone. If anybody has any final questions or comments that they want to make, now would be the time. And I want to just express my joy, actually, that we're doing this and that, you know, a bunch of human beings showed up to be with us. It's fabulous. Just fabulous. It's a it's a wonderful opportunity. Um, yeah. And I think that's a great theme to keep in mind for everyone. There's going to be some people in this industry, they're going to use this as an opportunity to seek a different career. And if you are remaining in the industry, that actually gives you your advantage. Oh. You're the one that's dedicated to this business. That's right. And so, again, this is what's going on right now. We have an opportunity in no time really in the past, uh, in history, really, have we had the opportunity to get, you know, 150 piano technicians live in the same digital room to have a really meaningful conversation about what's going on. And so, yeah, appreciate that, that everybody's here taking some time out to have this conversation. We will continue to have these conversations every week. And I think, you know, we'll see where it leads. Your feedback is going to be really useful into figuring out what we want to produce. So, but, um, can I say yes. one thing? Yes, Rob. First of all, thank you guys. I appreciate, thank you, thank you for the opportunity to, to talk to you today. More importantly than any of this stuff, 
is thank you for what you guys do every day. You take our pianist for being good to great, and we appreciate what you do. I appreciate my technicians in, in San Francisco Bay. I appreciate the work I've done with technicians across the country. And my hat's off to you guys and what you do. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, uh, so Diane Hofs- Hofstetter reminds us that caring extends to the customer. Really make a bond. Chris says, great discussion. Thanks so much. Raymond uh, Cugnolio from uh, South Africa says, always so enlightening and makes me crave to know more and lift the profession in this country. Uh, Brent Witten says, thanks to Rick for his wisdom and encouragement. Peter Poole says, thank you, Rick, Ethan, and David. Uh, David Brown says, thank you for all these efforts. Very beneficial. Sky Schuster says, I hope we can figure out methods and procedures to be able to safely work in customer's homes and institutions again. Topic for next time? Yeah. So informative and a great forum. Thank you, says James P. May. John Miner says, any comments on the increasing number of customers looking for pianos on Craigslist or eBay looking to save a few bucks? That's for next week. Diane Hofstetter says, thank all of you. Kristen says, thank you very much, guys. Great info. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thank you for hosting. Man, we're uh, we're so happy. We've run out of time. I can't read any of the other kudos, but uh, this is David Anderson, and I'm signing off. Rick Overton, thank you so much, brother. My pleasure. Thank you. I love you. Thank you to the max. Mr. Janney. Yep. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, David. Um, I'll end the call. Oh, yes. And thanks to Daniel and uh, and Pat for helping out here today. We appreciate that. All right. See you down the road, folks. Thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time. Remember that you can catch us live online every Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time. That's right. Go to pianotechradio.com to register so you can interact live and ask questions of our guests. See you next week. 